actions are in order to Chance and Kristen Reese on the birth of their son, Canaan Baylor Reese. He was born June 29th, this last Friday, Grapevine, Texas. Weighed 7 pounds, 10 ounces, 19 and a quarter inches. Uh, both sets of grandparents, members of our church family here, the Brits and the Reeses. And uh, we want to remember uh, this family in our prayers. Also, I was just handed a note uh, a couple of minutes ago. Uh, one of our, our sisters in Christ, Barbara Price, is kind of in a crisis right now, uh, both in, in terms of health and e- emotion and uh, these sorts of things. And, and uh, uh, as we, we pray to, to study and to study well tonight, we also want to pray for the birth of these babies today as well as for Barbara. And I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and join your hearts with me as we go to the throne of God. Father, we're so humbled uh, before this, this, this wonderful, great text that Jeff has read to us. And uh, we pray, Father, that as you spoke it to John, Father, may it speak to us with the same profound and, and heavy, heavy-duty meaning that it was meant to have, Father, because it is a word that comes from you and is important to our life and sustaining us. We're also humbled by the fact, Father, that you listen to prayer, our humble prayer, and that you care about us enough to incline your ear toward us and to lean in towards creation, Father, and and to hear the things that are upon our heart, the things that are heaped up in our soul and the concerns that we have not only for our, our own lives, but for the lives of those that we love very much in this, this, this greater extended spiritual family, the church. And we lift up to you not only Barbara Price, but, but all those, Father, that are struggling somehow with their faith or with their health or, or with their mind or with their, their, their finances or job situation, whatever it might be, a relationship. We pray for them, Father, that your spirit will be strong and strengthen them in the inner person as Paul has has instructed us to know and to take courage and to take confidence in, Father, out of Ephesians 3, and and, and to know, Father, that that you are near us at all time and that there is a source of strength and comfort there. We're thankful for all of these babies that have been born. Goodness, we're so thankful for that, 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 uh, the the greatness of these these births and the joy, greatness of of joy and greatness of... of, uh, of, uh, of excitement and enthusiasm for these new families. And we pray your blessing upon them, not just wisdom, Father, but we, we pray that, that you give these, these parents and these children the kind of relationship in which faith can be transferred. And, and we pray for this, Father, with, with all of our heart. And as we, we press our minds into this text again tonight, Father, we're asking for eyes that see and ears that hear. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We begin a new uh, study tonight on 1 John, a great letter in the New Testament right before you get to Jude and Revelation there at the, the very back. Uh, the, four, the first four verses that we're going to be looking at tonight are what um, uh, C.H. Dodd calls a grammatical tangle, which is really true when you look at it in the original language. But the NIV has just really done not just an effective but a, a masterly job of translating this. And tonight we're going to consider a couple of the wonderful things that John writes about in verse 4 because of the reality of verse 3. 
verse 4, we write this to make our joy what? Complete. Let's say that verse together. We write this to make our joy complete. I mean, just think about that. I mean, he's not talking about just joy, and he's really not even saying complete joy. He's really referring to a joy that is filled to the overflow. And the us, or the hour there, is not really an editorial hour. He's not saying, you know, I want you to know these things in order for me, John the Apostle, to be happy. He's saying, I want you to know these things so that we all can share in this same kind of joy. That as believers and disciples of Jesus of Nazareth, our joy can be filled in our hearts to the overflow. So how does that happen? How does, in John's mind, the believers in these church, probably written into Asia Minor, how do they experience this complete joy? Well, that's the crux of verse 3. Listen very carefully. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. The key word there is fellowship. And I want you to notice that there is a, a bit of a fellowship triangle in that verse. One point of the triangle is the church that John writes to. And the second point of that triangle is John. And another point in that triangle is the triune God, Father and His Son in verse 3. And one of the reasons that John is writing to this church is for them to have what he has with God the Father and God the Son, that fellowship. And the, the word here for fellowship is a word that you're all familiar with. It's the word koinonia, and it means uh, to, to, to share something. It means to have something in common. And in this passage, we discover what I think are truly wonderful things about fellowship. The first is this. Fellowship is a product of believing the gospel. Read with me. Again, the first three verses of 1 John chapter 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the what? Word of life. Verse 2, the life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Now just... By way of a reminder, John, who is writing this letter, is an apostle. He's part of a band of personal associates of Jesus. And as such, with these other apostles, they saw him with their own eyes. They touched him with their own hands. And Jesus to them was not just an idea. Jesus was not just a, a philosophy that, that sounded pretty good to them. Jesus actually, really, literally lived there was, um, there was a physicality to Jesus in the sense that they could touch Him and eat with Him and see Him and hear Him. And there's probably also a little bit of a reference here to the resurrection as well. Because to live on through the resurrection does not mean something like, you know, the spirit of Lincoln lives on at today, but that Jesus literally and physically resurrected from the dead. There was a resurrection body that they were able to touch, again, with their own hands and to see with their own eyes. And the fact that Jesus was born a man and died and then lived again is what makes Him the Word of life. The Gospel. The Gospel is the proclamation of Jesus' life. And now John tells us why he's proclaiming this Gospel of Jesus. Why he's proclaiming Jesus really lived. We saw Him. We touched Him. We beheld Him. It's verse 3 that we might be able to proclaim to you what we have seen and heard 
so that you may have fellowship with us. Now, wow, John is saying something incredibly profound here. The reason that he is proclaiming the gospel is so that his readers might have fellowship. This means that we don't just believe in in God and that's the important thing. It's that in having fellowship with each other and fellowship with God, we share life. We share life with God. That we have this common life that is with God and in God. Believing the gospel does not just save you. Believing the gospel saves you toward something. The gospel is the means towards the end which is fellowship with God. The reunion, the reuniting of man and the, cre- the creation, the creature and the, and the creator. God saves you. Your sins are forgiven. You're dressed in the righteousness of Christ. The mercy is applied liberally. Grace is received as a gift in order to have relationship with you. That's why God saves you. And to have a common life, a life of fellowship with God's other children as well, but mainly for for that sense of the warmth of God's presence coming down on you every day is why John is proclaiming the gospel. Now, if as a believer you do not sense this fellowship, then you have frustrated the very aim and the design of the career of Jesus Christ. If you, as a believer, have not sensed this fellowship with God, then you're frustrating the very reason that Jesus of Nazareth was born into this world. Everything He did, from the miracles to the teaching to the life that was lived perfectly in order to be an acceptable sacrifice to God, all of that was for you to experience this kind of fellowship. Now think of what this same John wrote in the Gospel of John. Jesus is praying here in John chapter 17. And He says, Now this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. You know, eternal life consists of knowing God and and being known by Him. And that is real life. You know, and this is not just something that was all, all of a sudden flashed out anew in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, this idea of knowing God and the richness of that and, and the impact that that would have on anybody's life, regardless of their station or status in life. I mean, think of Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23. This is what Yahweh says, or the Lord says, that not the wise man boast in his wisdom, or the strong man boast in his strength, or the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast about this, that he understands and what? Two words. Say it, church. Knows me. Say it again. Knows me. For I am the Lord who exercises kindness and justice and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight. I mean, think about Jeremiah this way. Suppose you're the smartest person who ever lived. Suppose you're given the nickname, the last man to know everything. Think about the opportunities that would be open to you. Think about the doors that would open up for you because of your wisdom and your knowledge and your understanding of all of the different intricate pieces of technology in the world around us. Or maybe you're the greatest athlete. You can pick up things and you can run fast. Think about the fame and the acclamation that you would receive. Or maybe, you're, just maybe, you're the heir to the greatest personal fortune in the history of the world. 
meaning that you can do anything, that you can have anything, you can see anything, you can buy whatever you want. Now, any of those things would be great in most of the eyes of those living in the world today, being the greatest athlete, being the smartest person, being the richest person. That would be a large life. It would be a, an incredibly large life. I mean, the power would just be coursing through you. But all of us realize that there's more to life than that kind of, of, of largeness, right? We were also made to be really loved and to be accepted and to be embraced and to be really cherished. We want to be recognized. We want to be accepted. And here is Jeremiah saying in the Old Testament, let the one who boasts or the one who glories glory in this, that if you know God, if you really understand God and He becomes your treasure and the most precious thing in your life, then you have a life that the wisest person and the richest person and the mightiest person doesn't even begin to have a conception of. It is, it is the life, the life, the life that makes you as a human being. And this is what John is declaring when you have fellowship with God. That Christ died in order for you to have a life of fellowship with God the Father and Jesus His Son. The whole purpose of redemptive history is for you, you to be able to sit down. Sit down tonight, to sit down in the morning. And to, and to have this sense of fellowship with God. And to have this kind of fellowship with God's family. Now, let's be a little practical with this. You know, I, I've seen many times, unfortunately... And, and probably the majority of you have seen it too, although it is, it is not a happy experience to be with believers who've spent their entire lives defending the truth or supporting Christian morality or, or living their life in sort of a, you know, in a, a certain track only to lie down on their deathbed and realize that they really don't know God. They really don't know God at all. They have defended Him. And they know the, 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 the doctrinal truths, but they've never walked with Him. They've been Martha working, 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 but not Mary who sits at the feet of Jesus. And they discover in this hour that their greatest need is for that sense of God's warmth and God's presence and God's strength and God's love and God's grace to be poured out upon them. Now listen, you know as well as I do that the doctrines are incredibly important. I mean, there is really no life in the church without these doctrines. But the doctrines have to be able to penetrate the heart. They have, Like a seed has to penetrate the earth. The, the doctrines have to penetrate the heart. John is proclaiming a truth that our eyes have seen Him, our hands have touched Him, we've beheld Him. But that truth has to go all the way down to the heart. All of those things that Jesus accomplished while He was alive, that has to penetrate. It has to get down into the heart and it has to change us. The gospel has to come in and alter your life and, and, and just revolutionize the way that you think and see the world. But the problem is, is that the gospel, because it's easy for it to be this way, the gospel at times is like a seed that sits on the shelf. And it never makes it into the soil where the life can be released. 
My friends, everything Christ did was to get into fellowship with you and for you to have fellowship with Him. And Christianity is more than just compliance and tradition and ritual. It is about fellowship with God. It is about a common life with God. But the second point that I think John is trying to get across to us here is that fellowship also means, by implication, that God is not hiding from you. This verse teaches us that, you know, one of the things that, uh, that used to crack me up to, uh, to no end when, when I was a uh, father, a young father of young children, is I, I, Jessica and Jordan could play peekaboo for hours on end. And, and, you know, after a while as an adult, you're kind of going, well, you know, I've seen that, done that, you know, it's not all that novel. But the thing that was so funny, or at least was so intriguing to me, was how they could do that for hours. And it was always like the first time. It was like Groundhog Day every five minutes. What this verse teaches us, though, is that God is, is not playing peekaboo with us. That He's here one minute and then He's gone in the next. But from time to time it sort of feels that way, doesn't it? Your prayer life is inconsistent at best. You know, sometimes you feel that dryness. You just get up in the morning and you don't really feel very committed to the relationship that you have with, with Jesus. You feel dry. And because of that, there's not much of a motivation to talk to God. I think everyone deals with this from time to time. Believe it or not, even preachers. And that lack of spiritual vitality or enthusiasm is, is a reality. And it is, it is a reality. It could be the lack of, uh, of discipline. You know, not wanting to, to, to do the hard uh, digging work of you know, mining into the Word of God and thinking and meditating and contemplating. Or it could be a lack of focus or concentration. Or it could be a lack of purity of heart. It could be a number of, of, of things. But here's the thing that you have to remember because of this passage in 1 John. That God is not trying to stay away from you. But that the barriers are on our side. The barriers are on our side. You know, everything that He has ever done in Christ, that God has ever done in Christ, is to get you to the place where you can pray in fellowship with Him. And everything that He has ever done in Christ is to help you heal all your wounds and to make you whole again. You know, all good fathers do this. They do this. They do the things that help sons feel like sons and daughters to feel like daughters. They sit down with them and talk to them and listen to them. I, uh, uh, Ellen is, is, is leaving to go to Lubbock tomorrow to um, uh, her, her parents' are celebrating their 60th wedding anniversary uh, this next Friday. And she's going there a little bit early with the, the, all the kids to spend some time. And what that meant is that we were, <laughs> we, were going through, um, we were going through a lot of picture albums over the last couple of days. And last night we had a really a, a lot of fun going through some albums that I've probably not seen in, in maybe 15, 20 years. I had the greatest mustache you've ever seen in your life. And I completely forgot about that. Ellen has reminded me my vow never to grow one again. So you'll, you know, I'll have to show you a picture sometime. But there is a picture uh, as we were going through these albums where my father and I are, uh, are standing out on the beach in, in San Diego, California. We had been to Tijuana. We had gotten a couple of those really kind of scratchy uh, uh, Mexican sweatshirts with a hood. And we're both wearing those. And my old man 
has his arm around me and is holding me tight as that picture is being taken. And just the sight of that picture just made me feel like a son. We, we sit down and we talk with them and we listen to them and we instruct them and we laugh with them and we call them by name. We share everything they, that, that we have with them. We protect them. But more than anything else, we show them that they have a special place in their Father's heart. My son and daughter know that they're my son and daughter not just because we share the same house and the same last name and the same DNA. They know that they're my children. And this is, this is what God wants. In, in that little story about a Samaritan woman that's met by Jesus at the well near Sychar, Jesus tells her in verse 23, you know, these are the kinds of worshipers that the Father, what? The Father seeks. The Father is not just sitting back and waiting. But the Father is seeking. God is seeking. These kinds of people, these kinds of folks, because He wants to have fellowship with them. Listen, fellowship means, according to 1 John chapter 1, verses 1-4, through 4, that God is not hiding from you. And finally, it means fellowship is about sharing a common life. So, so what is it you know, that we really share? What, is it, what does this really mean? Well, there are a couple of other texts in the Bible to help us think this through. The first one, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, Through these He has given us His very great and precious promises, so that through them you may p- participate in what? In the divine, in the divine nature. Galatians chapter 2. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Now we have to be careful here because this does not mean that we become God. It doesn't mean that we are absorbed into, you know, into the, the, the Trinity. We don't become a part of the Trinity. But it does mean that we share in His life. And the Spirit of God comes into us as we share that life. And as He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, we are conformed day by day by the Spirit into His image. In Romans chapter 8, Paul is, is, just, is just up in the heights thinking about everything that God has accomplished through Christ. And it is to conform us to the image of Jesus. But you know the one that I think that... that that uh, in terms of, of modern writers that threads the needle just about as well as anybody is C.S. Lewis. And in a passage I've read to you before out of Mere Christianity, he writes, you know, if we let Him, God, God will make the feeblest and filthy of, of, of us a dazzling, radiant, immortal creature pulsating all through with such energy and joy and wisdom and love as we cannot now imagine a bright stainless mirror which reflects back to God perfectly, though, of course, on smaller scale, his, bound, his own boundless power and delight and goodness. You know, we not only share that common life, but like even in, in, in good marriages, we, we share common interests. We, we, get, we get the mindset. We get God's mindset. We begin to see things differently. His priorities become our priorities because we start to, to see more and more life through Him. And the difference between a nominal believer and a disciple who has fellowship with God is that the nominal believer is only going to bring in God when there is some kind of trouble in his life or there's some kind of a crisis. He only brings in God at the critical times. That's not fellowship. 
And think about how it happens in marriage. Believe it or not, that other gender is a mystery. And there's a fundamental difference between a man and a woman. And, and really, that's part of the attraction, right? And after you've been in a good marriage for a number of years, there's something that, that happens. You know what your spouse thinks and feels nearly instinctively. I mean, one of the really great things that's happened to me in my marriage is that I not only see the world through my own eyes, but I've been able through 30 years of marriage now to get to see the world, to see the world through Ellen's eyes and to understand it through her being. And it's more, even more profound with God that now in fellowship with God, things that you, that you knew were wrong at one time, now just turn your stomach. And the things that once made you sort of sad, now deeply distress you. You know, I, I think that people that have fellowship with God, when they watch the evening news, are driven to prayer because of, the, the, of seeing what's happening in the world through the eyes of God. And you begin to love the things that God loves and to enjoy the things that God enjoys and desire the things that God desires, and you also hate the things that God hates. And when you look at people, you see them the way that God does. You see the possibility of redemption in every person. But that happens because of fellowship with Him. And you begin to think differently about your resources because of the fellowship that you've had with God. In all of those years of God coming through in every way, in every instance, with every promise that He ever made to you, and prayer is not an exercise to get something out of God. But prayer becomes one of the ways that you get to be with God. You remember a couple of, of months ago, we were, I think it was the end of last year, we were, we were thinking about the Lord's Prayer and, and, and going through it week by week. And one of the things that we discovered is that the difference between playing, uh, praying like a Christian and praying like a pagan is that when a Christian prays, he prays to Father. Father. With whom he has fellowship. Jeff's going to lead us in a song right now. You know, this, this, this fellowship thing is, is, is just oh so important. Because it, it really is, you, you know, from... from uh, from a positive standpoint, this fellowship with God is what helps you to guard your heart from, from temptations and to guard your heart from, from, from lies and to guard your heart from things that would cause your life to get off track and for you know, your faith, you know, the, the wheels of that wagon to begin to wobble a little bit. When you have fellowship with God, He becomes the thing. He becomes the, the, the point in your life that means more than anything else. Anything else can be taken from you, but you're not undone. And you can have a poise during the middle of all of that crisis and that critical time because even though it's sad and you're hurt, the most important thing in your life has not been taken from you. And, it's, and it's that, that, that is the reality of having fellowship with Him. And the, and the flip side of that is, is that when, when, when you have this, this fellowship with God and it's daily and you're walking with Him and it's, it's personal and it's, it's, it's intimate and it really gets to the place where you're, you're speaking to God 
as you speak to one in fellowship, then there is, you know, it's not just so precious that it becomes a joy, but it does become that safeguard that keeps you from losing, losing your way in the dark world. Jeff's going to lead us in a song right now. And maybe your fellowship with God, you know, all of those, those barriers that are on our side, maybe those things are really, really pretty strong. They're evident. Maybe even, you know, embedded a little bit in your life. And you're going to need some help to, 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 to tear them out of the ground of your heart in order for them no longer to distract you from the very presence and the love of God. And what you need more than anything else is for the church to pray for you and the encouragement to keep going, to keep going in the counsel of how to do it. During the singing of the song, we're going to have some shepherds down here at the front. They'd love to talk to you about this. Or maybe, just maybe, you've never had fellowship with God because you, you've never made that first step in accepting His forgiveness for the sins that deep down you don't debate anymore in your heart because you know they're there. You've never accepted the forgiveness. You've never accepted the mercy. You've never accepted the grace. It's because you've never accepted Him. He's there. And He loves you. And more than anything else, He wants to have fellowship with you. And the way that you do that is to, is, is to confess. That's what you want. That you want Him to be the King of your life. You repent, which means that you change the direction of your life. You make different choices now. You're baptized and your sins are washed away. You live a life having received that Spirit as a gift in which that fellowship grows sweeter and sweeter every day. But you've got to take the first step towards Him and turning towards Him and saying, this is what I want. More than anything else, I want to be your child. And if that describes you tonight, then come and talk to our shepherds, but the rest of us that stand and praise God together. Fall of tenderly upon.